Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. How many of you know, have you ever heard anybody say, you know, God doesn't speak like he used to? You ever heard anybody say that? You know, it just used to be this way. You know, at one point it was like, God just doesn't speak like he used to. Well, one lady overheard that, and I have to agree with her. She said, hold on a second, pardon me, perhaps it's because people don't listen like they used to. And I have to say, that's a big part of it. Yeah, you know, when you look at the Old Testament or when you look at the, the, the New Testament apostles and things, certainly the Holy Spirit is not downloading new scripture. He's not, he's not, uh, he, he's not speaking to us in a way that we write it down and, and it's scriptural in that way. So in that way, he doesn't speak like he used to. But at the same time, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not that God isn't speaking. I think perhaps it's because we're not listening. We're not taking time to listen. And so today we're going to get into Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 is a a book that is filled with great prophecy. In fact, it's one of the great prophetic texts in the Scripture, one of the backbones of Scripture. When you get to the latter part of Daniel chapter 9, it's kind of a landmark text of biblical prophecy. And I want to get there, and we're going to get there next week. But here's the deal. We can't get there unless we understand what Daniel was doing that led to the revelation and the prophecy that he had received later on. You can't ignore what happened in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9. You see, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel starts on his knees in prayer. And it's prayer that precedes prophecy. So many of us want this revelation. I want this new revelation. Give me this revelation. God, give me this new stuff. Let me tell you something. You don't get the revelation without the prayer. Without getting on your knees, you're not going to receive the revelation from the Lord. So I think it's safe to say that prayer is one of those things that people talk about all the time. In fact, Barna said this. Barna reckons that there's about four out of five Americans that say that they pray regularly. Now, I don't know what they're praying about or who they're praying to or what's happening. I, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, but Barna says people pray. People pray. And I've always been fascinated by that. In fact, I heard a little story about a sweet little boy who was praying and doing his bedtime prayers. And, and so he began to pray, dear God, bless mommy. Dear God, bless daddy. Dear God, bless kitty. Dear God, bless puppy. And he was going through it. Then all of a sudden he got real loud. He got real loud and, and he said, God, I'd really love a bicycle. And his mom said, why are you yelling? God, God isn't hard of hearing. He goes, but grandpa is. And he's in the next room. <laughs> he was trying to get the will of the, God, will of the Lord through Grandpa. You know, sometimes I don't know that we necessarily are praying because we want to align ourselves with God's will as much as prayer becomes something that we throw up, hoping that God will do something that is our will. In fact, that's what I think prayer is most of. When people throw up a prayer, it's usually because they're in the middle of a crisis or they're in the middle of a situation and they don't know what to do. In fact, I would say that just about everybody prays at some point. Even atheists cry out a prayer when we're in a situation. God, help! Somebody help! 
right? But prayer is more than just crisis. And that's what we find in Daniel's life. In fact, today we're going to take a look at just the first couple of verses of Daniel chapter 9. And we want to take a look at, at, at a model, a model of how Daniel prayed. Some principles that we see of, of, of how God answers prayer. Principles about prayer that God answers. So Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, gives us a little bit of chronology to it. All right, it says this. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. So the timing and the context of Daniel chapter 9 coincides with Daniel chapter 6. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about dreams and visions that Daniel had, and they were the time of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. That was pre, before the the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians came in and overtook Babylon. There was a king by the name of Belshazzar, and we've been looking at, at, at his life. The first year and third year, Daniel had two different visions during that time, and that took place, if you're following along in Daniel, between between chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Daniel. But now Daniel chapter 9 gives us a different time frame. So as we said, when you start to get to chapter 7 of of Daniel, it moves out of chronology and and you begin to get these pieces that happen during the time of chapters 1 through 6. And in this particular time, it's the first year of Darius the Mede, which coincides with the timing of Daniel chapter 6. So here's some observations when we take a look at this. Babylon has fallen. There's a new empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, that has taken over. And verse 2 tells us what Daniel is doing. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer And fasting, and I wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So, I want to make some observations about Daniel and prayer. And the first observation is one that we talked about before, but I think it's worth mentioning, and that is in Daniel's life, prayer is prominent. Prayer is prominent in Daniel's life. If you remember back, Uh, A few weeks ago when we were in Daniel chapter 6, we were talking about how old Daniel was. Many people, when they think of the stories of Daniel and the lion's den, perhaps from the felt board things in Sunday school, they look at Daniel as if he is a younger, maybe a guy in his 20s. Maybe it happened shortly after the exile. But at that point in Daniel's life, he was closer to 85 years of age. He was in his 80s at that point. So here in his 80s, we see that that Daniel is doing something. Daniel is praying. Daniel's praying. Now, you have to understand that a new administration has just taken over. Daniel is a political advisor. Here he is. He's a a political advisor, and uh, and it's a a new day and age. The, the, The Babylonian Empire has gone out. It's the first year of this new empire, the Medo Persian Empire, and Darius is now king. And Darius selects Daniel as one of three who oversee 120 satraps or 120 kind of a officials for the region of Babylon. The Medo-Persian Empire was much bigger than just the Babylonian uh, area, the Babylonian province. Cyrus 
the Persian, was the king over all of the Medo-Persian Empire, partnering with Darius the Mede and putting him as king over the area of Babylon. And so Daniel gets promoted. He's in his 80s. He gets promoted to a, a new position, and it's in the first year of that new position. I liken it to this. If you've ever been in a company and somebody else buys out that company and they begin to take over and they look at you and they say, we're going to keep you around and here's your role. And you're given an expanded role in this new merger and they're setting up a new government, they're setting up a new structure and you've got to be in charge of a particular area. How many know you're going to be busy? Right? You're going to be busy. I, I bet that Daniel was quite busy. You want to impress your new boss. You want to do some things that, that allow you to be able to stand out. You want to do a good job. Daniel, Daniel probably wanted to do a good job. But what do we find Daniel doing? In the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the craziness, what is Daniel doing? Praying. Prayer was prominent in Daniel's life. Friends, let me tell you something. Prayer must be prominent in our lives. So many times we're so busy, we say God doesn't speak as he used to. You know why? Because we don't listen like we should. We're so busy running here and running there and, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and I thought technology was supposed to make it easier. Right? With all the technology that we have, it's supposed to make it easier, right? I got a smartphone. It's supposed to help me schedule and help me communicate and give me more time. We've got the internet, and I got all this stuff, and I'm supposed to have more time, and yet we don't have more time. In fact, we just replace it with other activities, and we're so busy, and we're running here, and we're running there, and I just don't have time for prayer. Well, tell that to Daniel, because Daniel in his life, prayer was prominent in his life. And that wasn't just a new thing. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2 is a crisis situation. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he wants somebody to interpret it, but not just tell the interpretation of the dream he tells them, but tell them the very dream. And he calls all of his astrologers and wise men and all of his people together. And he says, he says, I had this dream and I need to know the interpretation. They say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he says to them, no, you tell me the dream so I know that, that you're not making it up. And they can't do it. And so what's he go? You're all dead, right? I'm going to kill you all. And that encompassed Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. We know him better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were in the third year of their training. They're just exiles. They're just teenagers. And they're going to get swooped up into this, you know what? This doesn't work, so everybody's dead. And Daniel says, hold on, hold on. Give me more time. My God can do it. And what does he do? What's he do? Let's read about it. Go back, Daniel 2, 17 and 18. Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What did they do? They began to pray. Prayer was prominent. Prayer was prominent. You know, so often in a crisis situation, you know what we do? We panic. So often in life, we have anxiety. So often in life, we're worried about this, and we're worried about this, and we're worried about this, and we're worried about that. But you know what Daniel learned? Daniel learned that, that you've got to turn your panic into prayer. You've got to turn your panic into prayer. The Apostle Paul felt the same way. 
He said this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Somebody say every. Come on, say every. Every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You know what that means? That means I don't get this. I don't understand it. I can't make sense of this. I don't know what to do. This is too difficult for me. It's beyond my understanding, right? Beyond my understanding. You present your request to God, then the peace of God transcends what you don't understand. So I ought to be panicked, and I ought to be worried, but I'm not. Somehow I've got this peace inside. My situation hasn't changed. My circumstances haven't changed. Things around me haven't changed, but on the inside, I'm settled. On the inside, I have a peace. Why? Because I turned my panic to prayer, and I turned it over to God. And as a result of that, the peace of God became a guard around my heart, the seat of my emotions, and around my mind, the thing that keeps me up at night, that just keeps going, and thinking about all the worst-case scenarios, and all the what-ifs, and a bit, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But no, I turned to prayer, and as a result of that, peace became a guard over my mind and over my heart. And it went beyond my understanding because nothing has changed on the outside. But everything has changed on the inside because I made prayer prominent. And I turned my panic into prayer. Every situation. I don't know about you, but I like sometimes when people put things on sayings on church signs. You know, you ever drive by some of the church signs? Some of them are funny. Some of them you kind of go, ooh, because they're kind of cringeworthy. You know what I'm talking about? One church sign, I love it, one church sign said this, in a time of of war, they put this up, if your knees knock, kneel on them. If your knees knock, kneel on them. Kneel on them. In Daniel chapter 6, we also saw that Prayer was a prominent part in Daniel's life. Again, these things, we don't know the timing. Did, did he end up in the lion before? Did this happen after? When, when, did this, when did this prayer time happen? But one of the things that we know is that when those who were jealous of the advancements that Daniel was receiving, the, the praise he was getting from Darius, when, when there were others that didn't, didn't like that and didn't know that, they looked for ways in Daniel's character. They tried to find some things in Daniel's life and the way that he did his business. And, and he had to make a mistake. And maybe he fudged something here. And maybe he didn't do something. Let's try to find some dirt. And they couldn't find any dirt in Daniel's life. So they had to come up with another scheme to get Daniel out of the way. And guess what they chose? Prayer. Prayer. Oh, Darius, you got to make a decree that nobody can pray to you for 30 days. Nobody can pray to anybody else except you for 30 days. And Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room and he began to complain. No, that's not what it says. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem and began to yell out in anger. No, that's not what it says. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I know, we talked about it. You're like, Pastor, you already preached on that. Well, some of us haven't done it yet, so I'm preaching again. Right? Repetition. Just as he had done before. Prayer was prominent in Daniel's life. Prayer was prominent. Not only was prayer prominent in Daniel's life, but observation number two is this, that prayer was prompted by Scripture. Prayer was prompted by Scripture. Look at Daniel 9, verse 2 again. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. Reading the word of the Lord. From who? From, Dan- from Jeremiah the prophet. 
that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Daniel chapter 9, the prayer that Daniel begins to pray in uttered is prompted by his time in Scripture. It's prompted by his time in the Word. Let me tell you something. The richest times of prayer are prompted by our times in the Word of God. It says he was reading from the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one that, that prophesied about the coming destruction that was coming against Jerusalem. And the exiles of the people of Judah to Babylon, Jeremiah was warning the people of God's judgment. God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. And he called them to repentance, but Scripture says they refused to hear. And some of the, there's two passages of Scripture in the book of Jeremiah that talk about this 70 years. And so there's two possible places that Daniel could have been reading from. One of them is Jeremiah 25 here, starting in verse 1. And it says this, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah is writing this pre-Nebuchadnezzar coming in and destroying Jerusalem. He's writing this in the first year when Nebuchadnezzar takes over Babylon and is just beginning to take over territories. That's when he's writing this. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, 23 years, from the 30th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me. So 23 years, the word of the Lord has been coming to Jeremiah. And I have spoken to you, look what he says, again and again, some of you parents, you know what I'm talking about, right, to your kids. I've said it again and again, right? But you have not listened. It's really quiet in here. I thought you would have laughed at that. I guess no parents have ever had that. And though the Lord has sent his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. Twenty-three years. If I've said it, I've said it again, and I'm saying it again, and I'm saying it again. You, you have immorality. You have adultery that's running rampant. You've turned away from God, and you have to turn back. You're, you're letting immorality. You, you're looking like the nations around you. You're, you're not letting the land rest every seventh year like you're supposed to let the land rest like the law says. You're not following the law of the Lord. And listen, God is not happy and judgment is going to come. I'm warning you and I'm warning you and I'm warning you and I'm warning you and I'm warning you again and again and again and again. But you have not listened. You have not listened. Jeremiah was warning them, and they wouldn't listen. And Daniel had access to this part of the Scriptures. And then in verse 11, this is what Jeremiah writes. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I'll make it desolate forever. So here's the prophecy that he's reading, and Daniel now is looking back. This was pre-it happening, but Daniel now is looking back, and he's reading, and he's going, 70 years. Hmm. I, I came in at this time, like, 
14, 15 years old, I was taken into captivity. That was about this time frame, 70 years. Babylon has just fallen. The Medo-Persians have taken over 70 years. God, we're about 67, 68 years into this. Like, we're nearing the end. Like, according to your word, we're nearing the end. And it prompted him. It stirred something in him. The scripture stirred something in him. And he began to pray. When, when, when he could read the promises of God, when he saw that we've been looking into the visions and we've been looking into the prophecy and in scripture there's prophecy and there's warnings and, and it ought to prompt us to pray. I've heard people say, Pastor, I, it seems like the things that we're looking at, we're living in the last days. Well, you can look up and go, we're living in the last days or it can prompt you to pray. The 70 years prompted Daniel to pray. Now, he could have been reading Jeremiah 25. He could have been reading another passage, Jeremiah chapter 29. Because you say, well, where would Daniel have gotten access to Jeremiah's writings? He was taken as a 14, 15-year-old teenager. Where would he have gotten access to that? Can that be right? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 29.1. It says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles. And to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Oh, what did Jeremiah do? Jeremiah goes, I wrote it in 25, chapter 25. I wrote it back then before any of this happened. Now you've been carried away. Let me write a little encouragement to you. Let me little write a little something and let me send it to the elders. Now Daniel was not an elder at that time, but he's about 80 years old. Somehow he's gotten a hold of this in his 80s and he begins to read. And he's reading over going, Jeremiah said this would happen and it's happened. I better read this over. This is the scripture of the Lord. I better see what's going on. And he begins to read this. In Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Woo! And then the one we all love to take out of context and quote. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I do believe that God has plans. But listen, those plans weren't happening until after 70 years was completed. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I don't think you get it. Let me just, let me, let me spell it out. There are times we want certain things, and we don't want to have to wait. There are times we want certain things, and we want them early. If Daniel would have been praying in, in the fifth year, in the sixth year, in the seventh year, his prayer wouldn't have been answered because it wouldn't have been according to the word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord, there were 70 years that had to pass. That was God's word. You can pray for it to change all you want. You can fast for it to change all you want. But God said it's going to be 70 years. It's going to be 70 years. It's not happening any quicker. You've got to pray according to the will of God, not according to your own will. It is not my will be done, but it's thy will be done. And that's what Scripture does. Scripture prompts that. Scripture begins to prompt and show us so we can be able to pray according to the will of the Lord. 
Daniel is prompted here by the will of the Lord for 70 years are completed. Listen, 67, 68, we're about right there. We're really close. And I've seen Babylon fall. We're really close. And it spurred him on. Why? Because the next verse, I know the plans I have for you, give you hope in the future. Then what? Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. What happens before the bringing back from captivity? Prayer. A prompting to pray. A prompting to seek the Lord. A prompting to get down on our knees and begin to call on God. That's what prompts the bringing back. Then you will seek me. You'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Prayer. Prayer was prompted by the scripture. I'll gather you and bring you back from the places I banished you, declare the Lord, and bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. Prayer was prompted by scripture. Friends, let me encourage you. God's word will prompt you to pray. And it'll prompt you to pray according to his will. You know what was happening? You know why they needed 70 years of captivity? Because we read it. They did not listen. Over and over and over again. They were warned and called to repentance, but they did not listen. And God said, listen, I've got to do something to get your attention because I care about you and I love you. So guess what? You're going in time out for 70 years. I'm putting you in time out. I'll bring you back, but not after 70 years. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Right? Well, what about grace? Grace was 23 years of warning. Some of you parents feel like that. I'm telling you, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three, four, five, right? God says, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Today, God says, I'm warning you. There is coming a day. There is coming a judgment. I'm warning you. I'm warning you that a judgment is coming. I'm warning you. I'm warning you that, that in the end, in the last days, I'm warning you. Get right. Get your priorities right. You see, it took 70 years of captivity to get them to realign their priorities. 70 years of captivity to get their attention. Friends, some of you, God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your attention and scripture prompts us for God to get our attention so that we can respond as his word says. Daniel read, it's 70 years. Woohoo, 70 years. He didn't move to celebration. He moved to what the word says. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. Scripture prompts us to obey the Lord. It prompts us to do what God says. And it ought to prompt us to pray. We have more access to the Word of God than at any other time in history. We're going to be judged according to that. You, have, you say, Axel, what are you talking about? We have, you, have, you have more Bible translations probably in your house sitting on a shelf or sitting on an end table or sitting collecting dust than, than most people around the world. You've got access on your phone. Download the YouVersion Bible app if you don't have a Bible. It's got reading plans. It's got different translations. It helps you understand. There are certain things. YouVersion Bible app. It's free. 
You, you say, I don't understand God's word. Guess what? Google. I know not everything lines up, but there's a lot of great stuff that help you understand passages of Scripture if you don't understand. You know what that means? We have no excuse. We have no excuse. We have more access than ever, and yet we are more biblically illiterate than any generation. Biblically illiterate. And yet we have more biblical access. We're going to be held accountable for that. Daniel, as busy as he was, was studying the scripture and spending time in prayer. Prayer was prominent, and prayer sparked something in him. God's word will prompt you to pray. Now, let me just, let me just say this. George Mueller, if you've ever heard of George Mueller, he was a great, uh, he was a great missionary. He had, he had orphanages. And he was a great man of faith. He had great, great faith and, and, and praying, and there were great miracles that happened. But in a book called God Answers Prayer, or Answers to Prayer, excuse me, he writes this. It has pleased the Lord to teach me a truth, the benefit of which I have not lost in 14 years. The point is this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. To have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul happy in the Lord. So I can't be about even the Lord's business and get all busy without getting first to get my soul happy in the Lord. Right? And he, and he says this, but how, how? How I might get my soul happy into this happy state? How my inner man might be nourished. And so I saw the most important thing I was to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God. Not to prayer, but to Word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word that passes through the mind like water runs through a pipe, but considering what I read, pondering over it, applying it to my heart that I might meditate on it and and, and might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, and instructed. Thus, by means, the Word of God, whilst meditating on it, might be, might, excuse me, my heart might be brought into communion with the Lord. So how does he get his heart in a happy state? He begins to get into the Word of God, which allows him and prompts him in the area of communion with God. And then he says this, prayer is most effective after the inner man has been nourished by the meditation of the Word of God. He said, I sought the will of God only in concert with the Word of God, for the will of God is never contrary to Scripture. Do you see a secret here? Prayer was birthed out of his time in God's word. That way when he prayed, he was praying in concert with the will of God. Not in concert with his own will. But he allowed himself to be nourished and it set the tone. It set the place. It set the atmosphere to where his prayers begin to be in concert with God's word. Friends, you cannot disconnect prayer and reading of God's word. I want to encourage you. Get in God's word. It is life to you. And it will prompt in you a desire to seek God according to his will. According to his will. You see, the prayer that God accepts is the prayer that God directs. And how does God direct your prayer life? When you begin to get into his word. God will direct you how to pray. Thirdly, prayer is passionate. I've been a little passionate today. Prayer is passionate. 
Daniel 9, 3, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. And I wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. He was engaged both physically and emotionally. Prayer is active. It's engaged physically and emotionally. Physically in terms of the fasting and the burlap and the ashes. He was doing something physically, putting himself in a posture physically where he could hear from the Lord. And he was involved emotionally. There's a type of prayer, it's called supplication. That's kind of a weird word, supplication. What does supplication mean? Well, supplication is more than, than just a, uh, God, here's what I want, here's what I need. Uh, God, this is what I want. It, it's more than just kind of passing through. It's not just some kind of a, a rote thing that you say, but there's intensity to it. There's crying out to it. That's supplication. And it, it kind of includes emotion with it. It's strong, authentic from the heart, pleading with the Lord. In fact, James 5.16, the second half. I'm going to read the New Living and then I'm going to quote the King James. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Or the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How many of you know it that way? Yeah. The fervent, effectual prayer. Fervent, effectual. Those two words are one word in the Greek. It's energe, where we get our word energy from. Energetic, passionate supplication is passionate the prayer that gets a hold of the ears of God is a passionate supplication I'm not talking about making something up and stirring up emotion that's not there but friends when you begin to read the word of God God will begin to prompt you God will begin to show you things God will begin to burden you with things that burden him God will begin to get in, get in inside and there's a passion that comes from that there's a crying out when was the last time you cried before the Lord when was the last time that that you were so moved that you were moved into emotion to cry out to God for something that's what we're talking about Daniel is crying out he is fasting and he is praying because he's been prompted by a promise in God's word and he says I that promise has got to come to pass it's so near I can I can taste it and he begins to move into humble adoration as you read the rest he begins to add adore the Lord he begins by talking about how great and mighty and powerful God is and then he moves to 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 this confession he begins to move into confession, not only personally, but corporately. He goes back to what his people did when they didn't listen to God. And they turned away, and he begins to repent in intercessory prayer on behalf of his nation. He begins to intercede. And he gets to a place where he begins to call on God. But he is, he is engrossed and passionate and crying out. When was the last time we got passionate? In prayer. When was the last time we cried out and said, God, if you don't, God, we need you. God, my child, they're not following you. They're heading the direction of destruction. I need to get on my face and cry out to you that you would turn their heart towards you. God, my marriage, it's dry. There's nothing, I don't know what to do. But I know I don't have the answer, but I know in your word that you said in your word that nothing, that, 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 that man shall not tear apart, tear asunder what God has brought together. God, I know that you value marriage. God, save my marriage. Turn my heart again towards my spouse. 
Oh, there's a lot of broken things in our nation. So let's talk about it at the water cooler. Let's get mad at the TV. Let's be passionate at the internet. Let's type things we'd never say in person. Let's post a bunch of things. Let's have every conversation be about what we don't like about our nation and what we don't like about this leader and that leader and what's not fair and pout and boo-hoo and everything else. But let's not pray about it. Let's be more passionate in our complaining than we are in our prayer. Because I'm sure that that's what the Bible says is going to turn things around. But I'm not a very passionate person. Except when it comes to Browns games and being upset that the Indians changed their name and what that was all about and why is that? But it hasn't moved me to pray. It hasn't caused me to get on my face. It hasn't caused me to fast a day, let alone three days or seven days or 21 days or 40 days. It hasn't moved me to pray. It's moved me to be upset in my emotions and get on the internet and get on social media and post all about it, but it hasn't moved me to pray. Is prayer effective or isn't it? I can say prayer is effective, but what I actually do tells me whether I believe it or not. Yeah, I'm off my notes. Because the only thing that's going to bring change is when we recognize that the battle is spiritual. It's always been spiritual. It's not been physical. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. If you're going to pull down strongholds, it results in fasting and prayer and seeking the Lord. Friends, we've got to get passionate about prayer. We've got to get passionate as we cry out to the Lord. We've got to understand that the battles we keep fighting and the strongholds we want to see broken are not going to be handled in the physical. They're going to be handled in the spiritual. When we align ourselves with God and His will. But I prayed and it hasn't worked. Well, Luke chapter 11. Jesus said this. He told a parable. Teaching them about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanted to borrow three loaves of bread at midnight. You say to him, a, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to eat. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls from his bedroom. Hey, don't bother me. That'd be me at midnight. Don't bother me. Don't bother me, right? I can't help you, but I tell you this. Though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And then the one we love to just pull out of context, right? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I know I have it in the New Living that really gives it away because this is the context of it. And that is this. I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This is about persistence. Persistence. 
This is about persistence. It's not just a one-time thing. Oh, well, we did that, and it didn't work. Well, I did that for a day, and nothing changed. Well, I did that for a week, and nothing changed. This is about going and knocking and keep on knocking. This is about going and asking and keep on asking. This is about seeking. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Sometimes our persistence is more about getting our heart right, and so it takes a lot of time because we're just as dense over and over and over and we don't get it. it takes a little time it takes a little time it's kind of like the little boy at Christmas time man he wanted a Star Wars watch so bad one of those ones with Yoda on the face and man it was just he just wanted it so bad every time he's around mommy mommy I want the watch mommy can I have the Star Wars watch mommy I really want for Christmas the Star Wars watch dad he went to his dad dad I want the Star Wars watch mom said go talk to dad dad oh what did mom say mom said to ask you okay well I, I just want the Star Wars watch I really want the Star Wars watch oh I want the Star Wars watch and his dad finally got sick of it right you know like if you ask me one more time for that Star Wars watch you're not getting it so the little boy was smart. He recognized, okay, I got to back down. I'm, I'm coming on too strong, right? Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Sometimes it gets replaced, okay? You know, that's just the bottom line, right? So I got I to back off. I got to back off a little bit. And so about a week later, dad's at dinner time. He says, you know, we really, we really as a family need to get back to devotions. And so kids, I want you to tell me, what's your favorite Bible verse? What's a Bible verse that's really spoken to you or said something to you? And so the one teenager says, oh, all I know is John, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Well, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, rebellious teenager. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. Well, it came to Johnny. Johnny, What's your favorite verse? And Johnny said, oh, my favorite verse is Mark 13, 37. I told you once and I'll say it again. Watch. <laughs> I like that one. Persistence, friends, persistence. It's not going to happen unless we persist. And God is calling us to persist in prayer passionately to persist in prayer. I'm going to bring it to a close. Worship team, you can come. Daniel was a man of prayer. We're going to get to the prophecy next week, but the prophecy was preceded by prayer. We want the revelation, but sometimes we don't want to spend time in the intimacy of God's presence and in God's word that helps us to be able to gain the understanding that we need. And friends, we need understanding. We need to be like the men of Issachar that scripture says we're able to discern the times. And you can't discern the times by listening to the evening news. You can't discern the times by watching all the YouTube videos that line up with your narrative on social media. The only thing you've got to do is align your narrative to God's narrative because God doesn't care about your narrative. He has already written the narrative in his word. We've just got to get aligned with the narrative. It's about God's narrative. It's not about what our itching ears want to hear. If you want your itching ears to hear something, you can find a YouTube video and somebody with some letters after their name that'll tell you what your itching ears want to hear. But if you want to know what God says, then you're, there's no other place but his word. Not the iPad, God's word. This is you version. You've got to get into God's word. God's word. So we got to pray. Prayer is important. In fact, I'm going to close with this quote. Charles Spurgeon once said this. Prayer is the rope that you pull down below. 
that the great bell rings up above in the ears of God. Friends, I want to challenge you to make prayer prominent in your life. I want to challenge you to get into the scriptures and allow the scripture of God's word to prompt you. You don't need to just hear it from me. If the only time you're hearing God's word is when you come listen to me every week, you are missing it. All right? You're missing it. You've got to get into God. I want you to get into God's word yourself and let God speak to you and learn to tune in his voice. And as you do, you'll get a burden like Daniel did. You'll begin to want to supplicate and pray passionately and say, I recognize God, your promises and that you have all power. Some of you have some situations in your life, some mountains that you're up against, some things you're dealing with relationship issues, financial issues, health issues, marriage issues. Some of you have, have some, some issues that, that you're dealing with stronghold-wise, addiction issues, things that continue to keep you bound. Let me tell you something, how you get through that, you, you've got to learn how to get into God's word and how to get on your knees and begin to pray and allow God to release those things, to do something spiritually in your life. Let me challenge you to pray. Let's close. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just ask you right now to stir in our hearts a desire to commune with you. A desire, Lord, for your word, a hunger to get into your word. Like Psalm 119, as David wrote, how he loved your word, that your word was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. That, that Lord, your, your word was a guard, a guard to his heart that I might not sin against thee. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God, let us love your word. God, move us to prayer for as many minutes as we spend complaining about what we don't like. May we spend double that on our knees calling out to you and asking you, God, to do something and what you want us to do. Stir in us, God. Stir in us, God. If you're here and you're up against a circumstance that you need God to move in, I just want to pray for you right now. You got a stronghold, you got a difficult situation, you're going through something, and you say, Pastor, I just need prayer today. Will you just slip up your hand? I just need prayer. It doesn't matter what it is. I need prayer. If you need prayer, I just want to pray for you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would move in these needs. God, you know what they are. Some of them, Father, are relational needs. Some of them need a healing physically. They just need a touch from you physically. Father, Lord, there are, there are just, we're up against it. Maybe it's a problem at work or a situation in a family or a relationship or a marriage or a, 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 a relative, a son, a daughter that is not following you, that's maybe bound up in addiction. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just ask you to move. Move, move, move in their lives. Move, break strongholds in Jesus' name. Break strongholds in Jesus' name. God, we come to you. You have all power. Align our hearts with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, 
visit PainesvilleAG.com.